passage is Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 13. That's page 856 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, should be a Red Pew Bible somewhere nearby. If you want to hunt that up, turn to page 856. Again, it's Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the prophet had said, or what the Lord had said through the prophets. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity in accordance with the time that the Magi, or that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amelia. Great job. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray together. Father, we pause before your Word. As John reminded us at the beginning of our service, um, all will pass away but your Word. Lord, we, uh, we need to hear from you today. We need your powerful Word to come and renovate and transforms our hearts. We need to see Jesus. We need to behold your glory. Would you come and open your word to us, Lord, that we would be changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, kids, here's a question for us this morning. Have you had an experience recently where you felt weak or inadequate or like a failure? can be a little hard to admit, right? But yeah, yeah, right? Uh, You know, there's so many times and things that happen in life, even in just any old everyday everyday occurrence that that makes you feel, or threatens that, threatens uh, feeling weak or inadequate. I remember whenever I was a kid in school, it could be a tough place. I remember being a kid growing up and just literally having this mindset of like, okay, I can't let anyone see my weaknesses. Because when people see your weaknesses, it can be exploited. It can feel very vulnerable. So I remember just as a kid, just always trying to hide my weaknesses and my 
vulnerabilities and failures. And you know, it's not just that reality in school. Really, it's like that in life too. We have been walking through this Advent series. We've been looking at the incarnation of Jesus, which is a a big theological word that means in flesh. It's referring to God becoming man in the person of Jesus. We've been looking at that and walking through the story and seeing all the details in the story. You know, you know what just jumps out over and over and over in the details that we see is the incredible weakness and vulnerability and seeming failure that surrounds every detail of the story. And it's a shocker. It's not what we would imagine. But here's what we see in our passage today as we're looking, that God brings his kingdom and works his power through human weakness. And we'll see what that means for our own lives too. So we're finishing up our kind of look at the birth narrative in Matthew. And here we come to verse 13. And now this is the part, you remember last week we looked at the scene with the Magi as they had come, they had followed the star and they had come to Jesus and fell down in worship before him. And you remember in that scene there was this interaction with Herod. Whenever Herod hears this news that a king has been born, we know that's going to set alarm bells off, right? Especially if you're a crazy paranoid king. And Herod was an absolutely brutal ruler, a not uncommon thing in the history of the world. And so he hears this king has been born. He tells the Magi, hey, when you find him, come report back to me. I want to worship him too. And you know, it's a trick. And they're warned by an angel. And so they go home a different route. And then in our passage today, Herod hears that he's been outwitted and he goes berserk. And we learn in our passage that he gives orders that every child in Bethlehem, every male child in Bethlehem under the age of two be murdered. I mean, just what an amazing atrocity. I can't even imagine if, if that were to happen in a place like Trenton. Can you imagine that in your own world? The terror of that. And it, we hear the description here of the just weeping taking place in that community. And so it gives us a picture of the absolute brutality of this world into which Jesus comes. He comes into the middle of this, the middle of the darkest darkness and the darkest brokenness. And we see even this picture that that the darkness of the world is actually after Jesus. You know, in the book of Revelation, you you have this description of uh, Satan and the beast trying to take the the child that is born. I mean, it's just... What's happening here is more than just the physical realities. It is a spiritual reality where Satan himself in the kingdom of darkness is trying to snuff out this salvation right at the beginning. But here's uh, one of the shocking things that we see here is that Jesus comes right into the middle of this and almost immediately is on the run. An angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in the middle of the night and is like, quick, Get the child and his mother and take off. Literally, they have to leave in the middle of the night. So here we see, as we watched uh, Matthew show us who Jesus is, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us, he is God made flesh. The creator of all things has entered into the story, and yet right here we see he's on the run for his life. Isn't that shocking? 
there is a price on his head. And he has to leave and take off and flee like a refugee to Egypt. It's kind of interesting that Jesus was a refugee. Kind of changes a little bit the way that we look at refugees, I would imagine, right? Jesus himself identifies with a refugee. So he is on the run for his life. They go to Egypt. Then after the death of Herod, an angel comes to Joseph. The threat is no more. And he comes back to Israel. But we learn that uh, Herod has died. His son is on the throne. There's still some concern there. So he settles in Nazareth, which was the podunk of podunks, okay? This is a nowhere place. You don't want to be from Nazareth, okay? You know, we kind of have this that like, you know, everybody's got a little pride in where they're from. And no matter how much you're looked down on because of where you're from, there's always somebody else you can look down on, right? Well, at least I'm not from there. At least we're better than those people. I won't name any places, okay? But we all have that, right? I'd never be from there, you know. My, my dad is, you know, in his 70s, and he still talks down about Chattanooga Valley. I don't know what it is. It's just something deep in him. Nazareth was the podunk of podunks. And so we see all of these details of just the opposite of what we would expect about the reigning king to come into the world. So the question for us that we want to answer in our passage is, what does Matthew want us to see? Why is he showing us this? And two things that we need to see here. First, we're going to see how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that Israel was called to do. You know, fulfillment is a huge thing in the book of Matthew. In fact, some commentators have called his gospel the gospel of fulfillment. Because he's just showing you over and over and over how everything Jesus did was a fulfillment of a prophecy and a fulfillment of salvation. We see that right here in our passage. So, as they have to flee in the middle of the night to Egypt, and then later they're called back. We might say, gosh, how did this happen? What a crazy blip in the screen. And Matthew says, no, no, no. This is how it had to be, actually. This was according to prophecy. And he takes us back in verse 15, second part of verse 15, he references back to a prophecy in Hosea. And here's what he says. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so Matthew's wanting to say, see, this is a fulfillment. Everything he was doing was fulfilling God's careful plan. But it wasn't just a fulfillment of something spoken by the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. It was a fulfillment of what Israel failed to do. One of the things that Matthew shows you is Jesus is walking in the footsteps of Israel. And where they failed, he is succeeding. He's literally bringing the life of Israel to its fulfillment. You know, if we were to go back and look in Hosea 1, and to look at that, the verse that he references here, the verse is actually about Israel. Here's what it says. Hosea 1, 1, 1 and 2. When Israel was my child, I loved him. Wait a minute, who's he talking about? Israel, his people Israel. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Who are we talking about? Israel. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, which was the Canaanite god of fertility. And they burned incense to images. They worshipped the idols of the nations. 
the reality was is that God's plan in the whole Old Testament was that God was going to save the world through his people Israel. He'd chosen this man Abraham and he says, through your children, I'm going to deliver the whole world. Which is a daunting kind of plan because he was in his upper 80s at the time with no children. But God likes to do the impossible. So God's going to save the world. I mean, just get this. He's going to save the world through a people. That's stunning. You know, we got into this mess through a man, and we're only getting out of it through a man, the seed of Abraham. But the problem was the seed of Abraham failed miserably. That's where the Old Testament leaves you. They failed. They turned away from God. Yes, he rescued them out of Egypt. As we hear that, what is it taking us back to? It's taking us back to the Exodus. Whenever God comes and rescues the children of Abraham out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land where they might flourish and grow and from there fill the earth with the kingdom of God, but it doesn't work. They don't hardly get out of Egypt to whenever they're worshiping foreign gods. God took Israel out of Egypt He didn't take Egypt out of Israel. It was still in their hearts. But what Matthew wants you to see is Jesus has come to live and fulfill the life and calling of Israel. He says it's all about him. What they failed to do, he's going to bring to fruition. See, this shows us something absolutely critical about the gospel and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did not come to show, to fundamentally, to show us how to live. He didn't come to say, here's how you're accepted by God. Here's how you should live. Here's how to be moral. Here's what you should do. Jesus taught a lot. He taught how we are to live. But his message and his coming was not, this is how you're made right with God. Jesus fundamentally came to take our place, to rescue us, to become our substitute, to bring into fulfillment What every one of us has failed to do. That's the heart of the gospel. It's rescue. It's grace. And we see it right there. So Jesus came to fulfill what Israel failed to do. But a second thing to see here is that God brings his redemption. He works his power through human weakness. What stuns me about this just absolutely stuns me about this, is that in the person of Jesus, God has come into the world to overcome evil, to win, to fill the earth with his kingdom, to destroy his enemies and Satan and death forever. And yet, when he comes, he doesn't do it immediately. It's just stunning to me that right here in the midst of this evil, He didn't just stand up and say, enough, and just eradicate it all at once. It's stunning to me that he didn't bring his salvation through sheer power. I mean, this is the God that spoke creation into existence. He said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. (laughs) He has that kind of power, ultimate power beyond what we could even imagine. And yet he didn't use it. Instead... The incarnate Christ here is on the run for his life. He barely escapes. He does not overcome all of this suffering and all of this evil by sheer power. He does it through weakness. And we see that through all of the details 
of the incarnation of Jesus. Every detail is about just this shocking reality of God coming in weakness, coming in vulnerability, taking on the suffering of this world. The, the way that God's power works is through enduring it. He overcomes suffering by enduring it himself. And that's just, it's how God's power works. And it's an ultimate shocker. I mean, salvation comes through this poor family. His victory comes through weakness. His hometown is Nazareth. That was chosen. You know, it's so funny whenever Jesus meets uh, Nathaniel in the Gospel of John, you know, Philip tells him, yeah, he's from Nazareth. And he says, well, what good comes from Nazareth? You know, he insults Jesus about his hometown. Why would God choose Nazareth for him to grow up? Why should... Why would he choose the absolute worst place to live? People are not moving into Nazareth. They're moving out. Nobody wants to live there. The schools stink. The crime is high. Right? It, this, is, this is the people, the place everybody wants to get out of. Why does God choose it? You see, it's just a part of this pattern. Where he chooses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And he chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And he chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is God's way. There's an incredible passage, probably many of you are familiar with it, in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is enduring something in his life. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is. It could be some incredibly painful uh, illness that he has. Some have speculated maybe it was some sort of an eye disease. It could have been some inward struggle. It could have been anything. And that, I think that's exactly why he doesn't name it for us. So that we can apply it to anything in our life. But what we do know from the passage is that he was in agony. This thing that was in Paul's life was incredibly hard. And he says, I pleaded with God over and over and over. God, would you take this away from me? I'm just going to guess we've all got things in our life that we're pleading with God and saying, God, why won't you take this away? Why won't you fix this in my life? It's an incredible passage to help us process what God's actually up to in our life. And God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is a huge concept to understand about how God works. You know, God says, no, 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 no. Paul, I'm going to leave this in your life because this thing of pain, this hardship in your life is making you dependent upon me. It's, it's making you weak. It's, it's driving you to me. It's, it's making your heart humble. It's breaking you so that your strength comes from my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Like It's enough. And you only can discover that God's grace is enough for you when God's grace is all you got. And so God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's how God's power works. That's how he works in the world, in all ways. And let me tell you something. That is the opposite of how things work in the world. 
Just this past week, I, I've just watched this video. Somebody had linked a video in an article I was reading. And I go and watch this video, and it's, it's about a very prominent, well-known, conservative political leader in our nation right now. If I was to say his name, half of you would be ticked off and not talk to me after, thinking I don't like him or I'm not conservative or anything. But this guy was at a, some sort of a big rally, you know, they're raising money, which is what politicians do, and he's raising money, he's talking to all of these, like, you know, wild-eyed conservatives in the room, you know, the really committed people, and there, it's a rally, and he's riling that crowd up, you know, getting the fear going real good, and getting the anger and the pride and everything, and he says something so interesting. He knows his audience, he knows that most of the people in the audience are professing Christians, because in our, in our culture, those, we just assume those are kind of the same thing. You know, if I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, those go together, right? So he knows his audience, and he goes, you know, we've all been told, uh, and we've all read, turn the other cheek. And I get that. You know, I get that. I know what that's talking about. But what has turning the other cheek gotten us? Whoa. You see what he's saying? It doesn't work. It was at the heart of the teaching of Jesus that, listen, God's power comes through your weakness, through your humility, through your letting go, through your surrender, through your having nothing, through your brokenness, all of those things. That is the place where God's powerfully at work in you. It was the heart of Jesus' teaching. And yet it's the very opposite of the world. And what did he say? Listen, if we're going to take, this commentator said, listen, if we're going to take back our institutions, if we're going to take back our government, we've got to come with strength. We've got to say no more. We've got to take over. And they're all like, yeah, praise God, right? Do you see, you see how we get it wrong? You see how we get it upside down? You see somehow we lose the very essence and the heart of the teaching of Jesus? I actually think this is the biggest danger facing the American church in our day. The biggest danger facing the American church, and I think all of us, is to seek kingdom ends through worldly means. Does that make sense? Is to say, okay, here, here's, what, here's what we want to see change for God's glory. So the way that we get there is the ways of the world through power and strength and demanding and it can't work because it's not how God works. He works through human weakness because only then is it clear it's all of him and nothing of us. It is the very heart and the pattern of how God works. But we want to be strong. We want to be self-reliant. We weren't made for that. We were made to be utterly dependent upon God. And dependence scares us. So let's apply this and just bring it home in our lives. Here's a question. Where in your life is there a thorn in the flesh? Where are you in your life right now feeling weak and inadequate? Could be a circumstance could be a struggle you're facing, could be a sickness that you're enduring, 
could be all kinds of different things in your life. That's the point. It can be something in your life, but usually it's a place of pain, it's a place of struggle, and it's something that makes you feel weak. What is that in your life now? Because here's our tendency in all of those areas. Our tendency in the place of weakness is to power up, is to double down our own strength. Right? I feel it in my own heart. You know, when we face something in our life, it's like, oh, I got to fix it. That even feels spiritual to us. Like, if I can fix this on my own, that's actually what God wants me to do, right? He wants me to clean this up and get this right, and then I'll come to him because God wants my strength. Wrong. But what do we do? We power down in these areas. We try to overcome in our own strength. We try to fix it on our own. And you know, I... I'm your pastor. I get to talk to you about all of these areas in your life and all the time. And I find myself repeating every time whenever I, you, you open up and you share those areas of struggle in, my, in your life, which is an incredible privilege for me. But I always ask this question. I, I know to ask it because I got to ask it for myself. And I got people in my life asking it for my own struggles. But I ask, have you gone to God with this? And when you answer in honesty, which I always appreciate, it's like, no. Heck no, I don't want to do that, because if i got to go to God, then I'm out of control. If i got to go to God, i got to get weak. If i got to go to God, it can't be in my own strength. But there's no other way. In fact, that thing in your life is there to drive you to Him. It's God pursuing your heart, just in the same way He was pursuing Paul's heart. You know, it's, it's so tempting in those areas in our life to say, God, you've abandoned me. You know, our hearts get hard and bitter towards God because these areas of struggle, we're like, why won't you take this away? And yet we want him to take it away without our hearts being open and come to him. So if you're here, what do you do? That's the question. What do we do if we find ourselves in this place where we're just holding on to our strength and trying to make life work in our, on our own. One word, repent. Repent. You know, repentance is not, you know, we hear the word repentance, we think penance, we think, okay, I've got to pay for it, right? I've got to beat myself up. That's what we think repentance is. That's not repentance. Repentance is coming home to God's love. Repentance is just turning to God. It's saying, oh my gosh, God, I'm trying to do this on my own. God, I've failed God, I'm broken. God, I need you. God, my heart is so sinful. I need your grace. Repentance is coming back and resting yourself in the finished work of Jesus. Repentance is what brings joy. Repentance is what brings transformation. But we don't repent because we're too strong. Because we think, some of us even think, well, I, I deep down think what God wants is for me to fix this on my own before I come to him. Let me just give you just a real life example from my own life, very fresh of how this works. So I said, if you were here on the Christmas Eve service, I said, hey, in the next 24 hours, you're going to have an opportunity to love and forgive and be patient because you're going to be with your family, right? I said that, right? My family's all here, so this is a little vulnerable to say, but you know, going in, I was like, I'm probably going to have to live this out too. And I did. I did. I found myself yesterday, Christmas Day, I just found myself in my heart just being cold. 
Just feeling cold and distant, kind of closed off, irritated, not open, not warm, not present, not seeing people. I felt my heart just wanting to escape, wanting to pull back. I found myself more concerned with what I wanted than what others wanted. You know, I just wasn't seeing people. There was no openness and warmth in my heart towards other people. And I saw it, you know, God kind of showed that to me. And you know what my initial reaction was? Discouragement. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I'm a pastor, you know. I, I, my initial reaction is to go to that place of shame and beat myself up. But it was so nice because Holy Spirit interrupted me pretty quick. And he said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Just repent. I was like, oh my gosh, I can repent just right here. I can go to God with my failure. I can go to God and say, God, I've blown it a thousand times. But thank you for your grace. And that's what I did. I just went to him and I just said, God, my heart, it's cold. It's closed off. It's not what I want to be. I want to be open. I want to be loving. I want to be engaged. I want to care. I don't want to be cold. Look at this whole heart of mine. Gosh, it's so broken. My flesh is so deep. But God, thank you for your grace. I need you. Help me to love. Help me to love. Help me to engage. You know what happens? Right on the spot. It's just like instant heart change. Now, I got to go back and repent like five minutes later, okay? <laughs> right? But that's the beauty of repentance. Repeated repentance is progress. The more we're repenting, the more we're maturing. And the beauty of repentance is that we can come to Him with whatever. Because why? Jesus took my place. He fulfilled it all, right? I have bold confidence access in spite of the wickedness of my own heart, right? So just in the moment, there was heart change in me. I actually had a desire to engage. I had a desire, okay, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to actually try to put myself out. That's very opposite of my nature and my flesh. Heart change in the moment through repentance, it's how we change. You know, a lot of us are stuck in life and not experiencing joy. We're not experiencing joy because we're trying to be strong in our own strength. But repentance is the way to joy. And you know, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, it just invites us into weakness. Because repentance is really weakness. That's why we avoid it so much. It's really getting weak before God. It's saying, I cannot, I've blown it, I don't have what it takes, I need you. That's all repentance is. But you know, as we look at the whole ministry of Jesus, from stable to the cross, it's all weakness. It's all weakness. Everything he's doing, he's doing in the power of weakness. God's power working through his weakness. It's incredible. It just invites us. You know, you don't have to be strong. Just come apart to him. Just embrace that weakness. Let me, let me stop there and give us a few moments to discuss and interact with each other. How does that strike you? What's happening in you as you think about God's power and our weakness? We think about the passage, the ministry of Jesus. What's happening in you? Let's hear from each other. I really don't think there's <clears throat> anything natural in me that tells me that what you're sharing is true. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I just yep. feel like my nature, this culture, everything just tells me that no. Yeah. I've got to. Um, I've got to, to make myself presentable to the Lord. Yep. I've got to prove myself to others before yeah. I can prove before I can approach the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm finding out more and more in my life that. This is, yeah, this is even why some of the most difficult things in our lives happen mm-hmm. is for, to cause formation in our hearts. Yep. And bring us that place of need. Yeah. It's just really, it's, uh, it's really restful to think about because mm. that doesn't cause me to yeah. have to accomplish anything to receive his love. Yeah. And uh, it's just impactful. It's hard because, like I said, it just feels so... It's just not natural. It doesn't come easy yeah. since it's not natural. Yeah. But it's, um, it's just really restful and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Thank you, Trent. It really does require a massive shift in our whole orientation reality because what we naturally think is, again, according to the pattern of the world, Paul talks about being conformed to or not being conformed to the pattern of this world. This is the pattern of the world that through strength and might and self-determination you can achieve and don't show any weakness. And so this is like a complete opposite reorientation that has to take place where we literally value things completely different. And, um, and I just, as you were sharing, I'm just thinking about your normal reality where you work, you're a fireman, you're in a fire hall. I can imagine that's a tough place. That's not a place where these big buff dudes who charge into burning buildings come in and share their weakness with one another, right? You don't do that or you're dead meat. You know you're going to be made fun of like brutally. So what's everybody doing? Everybody's kind of got the tough guy facade going on, right? Well, it's not just in a fire hall. I bet it's in every one of our workplaces, to some degree, even in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our sports teams. The whole value system of the world is be strong, be something, build yourself up. And then God is saying, actually, my power is at work as you give that up, as you embrace weakness. And there's a dying that has to happen to that. And it's very vulnerable and scary, right? You'd be scared to walk into that fire hall and be like, okay, I'm not going to get caught up in the game. And I'm not busting on firemen here, you see. This is true of everywhere that we are, right? So thank you for sharing. So I lost my job a couple of weeks ago, and I knew it was coming for a while. And at first, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and fear and uh, just not a good response. Uh, versus now, still without a job, hopefully that's changing soon, but I can look back and I'm, I'm honestly like so grateful. It's the best thing that God could have done because he's brought about so much good change, not just in my personal relationship with him, but also in just tangible ways that, yeah. that grow me closer to him. So yeah. I've just personally seen how God has torn me down in order to bring me closer to him mm. for, you know, it's, it's the start of lasting change, which... It's just been awesome. So I wanted huh. to just share that growth that mm. I mean, 
it, it's dead on. Like, yeah. through weakness, I mean, that was a big thorn in my flesh. Yeah. Um, and then I, I did have just one question. Uh, the NIV Bible notes didn't have the reference, so a little Bible trivia for you. Uh -huh. Put you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> what is the uh, Nazarene prophecy that it's referring to? So, in Isaiah, it refers to Jesus being the branch. And the word in Hebrew for Nazarene and branch are like the same root. So most commentators think that it's not a direct explicit prophecy like you see in other places. Like for instance the Hosea 11.1. 1. You'll see on the one he will be called a Nazarene. There's no note at the bottom to take you back to a specific one. So it doesn't have that direct. It's more... Sometimes they'll say through the prophets, and it's not like a specific wording, but it's a concept. And I think that's the sense in which he's using here. Yeah. So I just wanted to say in what you shared, thank you for sharing about what God's done in your heart through a thorn in your flesh. And I just wanted to say, hey, it works, Right? You know, that old politician said the only thing that works is powering up. And Jesus says, you know what? If you lose your life, you're going to gain it. It works, right? And see, we got to be the people in a world where everyone is saying power, strength, on top, beauty, appearance. You know, the world is saying this is where it's at. You got to chase that. And we got to be a people who are saying, nope, doesn't work. In the end, you lose it all. It's all fading away. But you know what? If you lose your life, you will gain it. Here, now, and in the world to come, a thousandfold. So we got to be a people who are living that. Not just giving verbal acknowledgement to it. Yeah, I know Jesus talked about turn, turning the other cheek, but that doesn't really work. That's not enough. we got to really believe this stuff. And we got to live it. So it works. Thank you for sharing. Hutch, I, one thing I feel like you just reminded me of is that, like, I've got to be really convinced kind of what you were just saying, that God is really strong. I think that's honestly probably my biggest hang-up. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm weak because that's pretty hard to overcome. And I'll try to be strong, but I think I, I just lack faith that God is strong enough mm. and that, like, God is strong enough through me. <coughs> So I, and I forget the verse, I'm really bad at references, but where um, God talks about the power of the Holy Spirit being the power in you, mm -hmm. I think that was in like the mm -hmm. power of the Holy Spirit who resurrected Jesus from the dead. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was like, it's different because I feel strong, but not by my own power, which is different than strong by my own power. Yeah. Which is also different than just being weak. Yeah. You know, because I feel yeah. like I'm weak and I feel helpless and I can't turn to God and I'm upset and I stay there. Or I try really hard to be strong in my own power, and then I just get back to step one. Yeah. Or I'm like, okay, I know I'm weak, but I'm strong in Christ. And I feel like that requires me to actually believe that Holy Spirit is in me and that I can move out in vulnerability or whatever. Like, that that's coming from a strength, but not a striving strength. Yeah. And I think that for me is like, okay, I... That's where the battleground is for me. Do I really believe that God is strong and that God is strong in me? Yeah. That's a great insight, and I really appreciate your sharing that. You know, when you actually try to live this out, 
pretty quickly you're going to discern that your faith is not as deep as you thought it was. Which can be scary to admit. Oh no. You know, I thought I had like faith to move mountains. I actually realized I have the most flimsy faith you could imagine. But that's repentance, right? What a beautiful place to come to to say, oh my gosh, my faith is so flimsy. God, grow my faith. You know, your faith can't grow until you see how small and flimsy it really is. That is the place, again, where God's power begins to grow our faith. But yeah, if we're going to live this out, you've got to really believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to come through. You start to see that risk in it. You know, if I'm going to put Jesus' words into practice, pretty quickly I'm going to realize, oh, I've got to really believe this. Because there's a big difference between, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true, to like, I'm living it. That's what biblical faith is. Not, oh, I think that's kind of true, yeah. But it's like, I'm risking my life on it. That's biblical faith. And when you start to do this, you start to bump up against, oh, I don't really believe it as deeply as I thought. Which gives you an opportunity for your faith to grow. So, thank you for sharing. I have the same experience. I'm like, do I really believe you're going to come through for this? Such, I'm uh, encouraged by this lesson, and I was encouraged last week. I got an email from the uh, from Fred Marsh, who is the Mission to North America Associate Coordinator, and he kind of coordinates home missions for uh, the U.S. and Canada for our denomination. But the words that he used especially struck me. He said, God uses little people from little places mm. and nobody's from nowhere. Mm. And I was so encouraged by that mm. because I am super qualified as a nobody from yeah. nowhere. <laughs> right. Just let yeah. me know that God yeah. can use me yeah. and will use me. Yeah. What a great application and summary of this passage because it's like showing you Jesus is God, and yet he became a little person from a little place. That's what it's saying. Like, little person on the run, vulnerable, no protection. I mean, just stunning that he, he did that for us. Because I don't want to get little. <laughs> it's costly to get little. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to see the logic of your kingdom that is the logic of this world. And Lord, as Trent shared, it's so hard because we live in the world. And in the world, the whole value system is upside down. And everything's going in that direction. And it's so hard to swim upstream. It's so hard to be in the world and not of the world. It's so hard to be citizens of your kingdom that live by these values. That embrace weakness. That give up fame and wealth and power for the sake of your glory. To, to actually believe that the hard places in our life are the places that you're most powerfully at work. Lord, would you, by the power of your Spirit, just conform and transform our minds, renew our minds according to the truth of your kingdom. 
And would we have hope, no matter what we're facing in our life this morning, would we have hope and would we see and find your grace sufficient right in the very midst of what we're walking through? All for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.